You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen, and good morning to 10 o'clock. Good to see all of you here today. Thanks for braving the uh, bitter winter blast of Waco 2022. All of us in this room, everyone watching online, we want our lives to count for something. Like at the end of the day, at the end of our days, and we we're able to look back on the life that, that we lived, I think this is true of everybody. We, we want our lives to, to count for something. I don't think that's a self-centered thought. I don't think that that's a self-absorbed thought, that you want your lives to, to count. In fact, I think as followers of Jesus, we want our lives to count for him. We want our lives to count for his kingdom. We want our lives to count for his gospel. I don't think that's a self-centered or self-seeking drive. I think it's actually a drive that God has planted in us. In other words, Christians, I I think we want to be productive. I I think, again, we want our lives to count for something. We We want people to look into our lives and see something that is eternal happening. See something eternal happening inside of us. Because we live in a world that's so set on the temporary. I think, Christians, that we want people inspecting our lives, looking at us, seeing us, and and seeing something meaningful that's happening in our lives. Because we we live in in a world today, in a culture today, that just strives after things that have no meaning whatsoever. I think we want people to look at us and see something authentic. Especially in a world that just has fake written all over it. That drive that I think many of you, hopefully all of us in this room, especially as Christ followers have, I think that's a gift from God. I hope we see today in the next five weeks as we're in this series called Abide, that we see that that desire to have our lives count for Jesus is what Jesus himself would call bearing fruit. What are the first two words that God ever said to his prized creation, humanity? What are the first two words that God ever uttered to mankind? In Hebrew, para, bear fruit. The very first two things that God ever said, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, be fruitful. Now somewhere down the line, we have kind of put be fruitful and multiply together and go, man, God just told us to make babies. That's what it's all about. And the multiply, yes, that probably does mean make babies. But fruitful, that means that our lives should count for something eternal. That our lives should be productive for God. Let me help define bearing fruit. Bearing fruit, here's a very simple working definition for today and really the next five weeks as we're in this passage together. Bearing fruit is simply God's character and God's presence in you seen externally. It's the presence of God, the the power of God, the character of God, the mission of God in you that other people see about you. I'll give you some examples. The character of God in you, Christian, is is love and and grace and generosity and humility. Therefore, if you're going to bear fruit of the character of God in you to be externally seen, that fruit is external, then you also should be bearing the fruit of love and grace and generosity and humility. 
You have, Christian, the power of God in you. How is that seen externally in, in courage, in confidence, in living a life of victory? You see, that's the power of God in you seen externally by others. The mission of God that's in you, how is that seen by others? Your love for the gospel in Waco and the world. Christ glorified. That's the mission of God is for Christ to be glorified. Therefore, Christian, if we were to bear fruit, it needs to be all the things that God has put inside of us at salvation seen by others. So let's get to the passage we're going to be in today in the next five weeks. The, the book of John, chapter 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So let's go to the New Testament together. Open up your Bible. Let's keep it open the remainder of the morning. John, chapter 15. And as you get there, I want you to know the challenge. The challenge is for you to memorize John 15, verses 1 through 17 over the course of the next five weeks. You can do it. Those of you who just thought to yourself, oh, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Those who just thought, I've got so many projects due, school starting back up, got so much going on, no. In fact, let me go ahead and step on your toes. If you're too busy to memorize 17 verses over the course of the next 25 days, can I lovingly say you're probably too busy? What if you were to hide God's word in your heart? So my wife and I, my, my daughter, my son-in-law, my son and my future daughter-in-law, we're, we're memorizing it together. We're using, using flip cards. My 11-month-old granddaughter is brilliant, but she's not going to be with us on this memorization this time around. You may have a great way that you memorize things, you memorize scripture. I, I, I challenge you. In fact, those of y'all who love a good challenge, I double challenge you to memorize John 15, verses 1 through 17 of the course of the next 25 days. That means you can memorize like one verse almost every day and a half, and you'll, you'll get there. Let's talk context first. It's always good anytime you're in God's words to talk about the context. Well, we're hours away from the betrayal and death of Jesus. We're hours away from the crucifixion, and Jesus knows that it's coming. Chapters 12 through chapter 20 in the Gospel of John is the last week of Jesus. 50% of the Gospel of John is the last week of Jesus. He's about to be crucified. What, what will his last message be to his disciples? What will his last message be to us before he goes to the cross? Deathbed words are weighty. So let's see what he says. Chapter 15, chapter 16 are his final words to his disciples, to us. Then in chapter 17, he's going to pray to God. Then in chapter 18, he's going to be betrayed in the Garden of, of Gethsemane. So what's he going to say? What, his last sermon is so important. So let's pick it up. Just the first portion of John 15 today, beginning in verse 1. Jesus speaks, I am the true vine, and my Father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus declares, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, 
and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, that your life counts, and so prove to be my disciples. Let me give you a little bit of a warning. If you love preachers on Sunday morning, I'm going to be a teacher the next five weeks. I'll jump back to preacher mode in the middle of February. Let's, let's talk through together some of these things. And the first thing I want you to see, I bet you heard it. There's a word that was used seven times in this small passage alone, verses one through eight. It's actually going to be used 10 times uh, in verses one through 17. So, so it's all throughout. The word is abide. Uh, we purposely named this sermon series Abide because of the repetition of that word throughout these words of, of Jesus. Let me help you understand this. All understand what abiding is. Abiding is drawing life and strength from Jesus. Abiding is not just your quiet time. It's, it's not less than your quiet time, but it's so much more than your time with God. It's so much more than your Bible study time. It's so much more than just, just your prayer time. Abiding is drawing life and drawing strength from Jesus. Why? In order to be fruit or to bear fruit in a faithless, unfruitful world. I mean, we live in a spiritually barren culture. And God wants us to draw life and strength, not just in the morning with your coffee and not just on Sunday when you come to a gathering, but he wants you consistently drawing life and strength from him so that you may bear fruit in a very barren, dry, spiritual climate. Verse 1 and verse 2, we need to define a few things here that actually probably are relatively intuitive Chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. I hope your Bible's still open. John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. Jesus is speaking. If you have red letters, you know that. And my Father is the vine dresser. So every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So let's, let me give you four things right here that help define this very consequential passage of Scripture. And you could preach this part yourself, by the way. Number one, the vine dresser is God, the Father. How do we know that? Jesus just said it. The vine dresser is God. It's the Father. Who's the vine? The vine is Jesus. He defines himself in verse 1. He defines himself again in verse 5 as being, as being the vine. So the vine dresser is God, the Father. The vine itself is, is Jesus, the Son. Now let's get a little bit deeper into this. The fruitful branches then are true Christ followers. Those who are truly established in Christ. Those who truly belong to God through Jesus. Those who are truly, if you will, born again, rescued by Christ. They are alive in Christ. No longer dead in sin, but alive in Christ. Those who are in Christ, they will bear fruit. And so the fruitful branches are true Christ followers. Now here's the, the deeper part. The unfruitful branches are those who appear to be genuine, but only have a superficial attachment to Christ. Surfacy, cultural. It's just what I'm supposed to do. And Jesus is going to take aim, but with great love and great grace. In fact, if you're here today, you're pretty sure you're a, a branch that is not bearing fruit. I want you to hear the grace of God in this message today. I want you to hear the love of Jesus for you today. And this is so important. Before I begin anything else, as we dive into this passage, Jesus, I love this, he begins the sermon by talking about himself, verse 1, the vine. 
He begins the sermon by talking about, verse 1, his dad, the, the, the vine dresser, God the Father. I think that's so important that verse 1 begins with the character of God, the character of Christ, the essence of God, the essence of Jesus, because the Christian life and bearing fruit for Jesus and his kingdom and salvation itself has to start with God, not with us. Are you okay with that? Because the hero of John 15 is not us. The hero of John 15 is God the Father, the vine dresser, and the vine. Everything has to start with him. I tremble to think in our days today that we have made salvation human-centered. Listen, sisters and brothers, salvation begins and ends with Jesus. Salvation has to be centered on what he has done, his completed work on, on the cross. And we talk in salvation terms like it's just something that I kind of it happened to me and I made this choice and I walked an aisle and I got in some water. No. Salvation is what Christ has accomplished so that you could walk in new life. It is a God, though, so where do you come into the story? It's a God who wants to reveal the evidence of his kingdom through you. That's a weighty joy. That's a happy responsibility. That God wants his kingdom, his gospel, his character, his essence, his, his, his mission, his power revealed in your life. Now that really gives us two implications because of that. If it's all about Jesus, it starts with Jesus. Here's the first implication of that. We can't boast. We, we cannot boast if it's all about Jesus. It's all about us drawing life and strength from him. If, if our role is being a branch and there's nothing happening in the branch unless it's connected to the vine, that means that we cannot boast. And so any spiritual fruit, anything good that comes from your life, any growth that you have had in Christ's likeness these past few weeks, uh, any generosity that you've expressed to others, any evidence of freedom in your life from things that once held you down, um, empathy uh, or apathy or, or laziness or addiction or pornography, any spiritual progress you have seen in your life this last year is only due to Jesus. It's only because of the vine. Because a branch without a vine cannot bear fruit. Look at verse 4 again. It's going to sound repetitious after a while, but this is getting into our hearts, into our minds. Abide in me, Jesus said, and I will abide in you. As the branch cannot, in fact, it's actually better translated, will not. It's completely unable to bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. That truth will keep spiritual pride at bay. When we realize anything good that's happened in your life spiritually, any victory that you have tasted, any Christ-likeness that's been coming out in you these past couple of weeks, it's because of Christ. It's hard to be spiritually arrogant when you realize that Christ is life. And that the only spiritual life and spiritual victories that we have and spiritual fruit that we have is only due to our lives living off of his life. Christian, our, our past story it's not that one day we just had some new moral determination and we woke up and thought, today, I'm going to bear fruit. That is no one's story in this room. Uh, there is no Christian in this room that you can look back into your life and think, well, well, one day I was finally disciplined enough to start doing God-honoring things. No. 
You know what our story is? And it's relatively pitiful. We were dead and faithless and nothing. And in desperation and absolute humility, we cried out to God to save us. And as we cried out to God to save us, he connected us to the vine. The great New Testament word, theological word, is we were grafted into Jesus. We became a part of the life of Christ itself. Our story really is a 300-year-old hymn by Charles Wesley that says, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood, it can cover, it can make the foulest clean. His blood that was availed for me. Here's the second implication of you and I having no life outside of Jesus. is simply this, but we can't boast and we can't blame shift. All of us in this room, we are proficient at making excuses and no one needed training for it. We came out of the womb making excuses. We are the kings and queens of excuses. And so we make excuses. We, we blame the vine dresser. Well, the reason I'm not producing a whole lot of fruit in my life, there's not a whole lot of spiritual activity in my life right now, there's not a whole lot of spiritual victories in my life, God, it's your fault. You don't have me in a good place. If I was married, oh, I'd be bearing so much fruit. Single people, and I look around the room, there's quite a few of you, I got good news for, you, for single people. God loves to bear fruit through single people. You don't need to wait or blame God if I, if I only had, had things a little bit different in my in my relationships? No. God loves to bear fruit through those who are single. God loves to bear fruit through those who are lonely. God loves to bear fruit through those who were broken up with recently. That, that's, that's the nature of, of God. We like to make excuses and, and, and blame God. God, if, if my kids were easier, if my kids were more obedient like their kids were or are, God, I'd bear so much fruit. No, listen to this. Moms and dads who have prodigals who are struggling with your kids, whether it be in first grade or 50 years old, God loves to bear fruit in the lives of parents who weep over their prodigal kids. God bears fruit. We, we often blame shift and think, God, if things were just different, if I had a, I've had a better childhood, if I didn't go through all those things as a kid, if things were just different, God can bear fruit through those who were abused. He can bear fruit through those who've gone through the horrific nature of a divorce, whether your own or your parents. And we spend a lot of time in our, our lives thinking, God, if you would vine dresser, if you would just make my life more bearable, if my life was better, if it was more functional, then I think I would bear more fruit. But we simply can't say that our lives have fruitlessness or, or no spiritual activity is the vine's problem. Because listen, the vine, we've already determined this, is Jesus. I mean, he's perfect in all of his decisions. God is perfect in all of his ways. And so often we go back to the vine dresser and say, if life was just better for me, then I would see more spiritual activity, more spiritual victory, more spiritual fruit. Listen, if, you, if, you, if there is no fruitfulness in your life, there's no spiritual victories in your life, it's because you're not abiding in Christ. And it means one of two things. Either you're not saved, and today would be a great day for salvation, or it means you have not awakened yet to the reality that the Christian life is not about you struggling. It's about you resting in what Christ has done. 
And we spend a lot of our lives perhaps just kind of thinking, if I could only do this in my own strength, if I could only struggle in my own strength, instead of being confident in the strength of God through his son Christ and by the Holy Spirit. Listen, life, true life, is found in Christ. And if you're looking for life today, you just need to look to Jesus. He is life. If you want to have true freedom, you can't produce freedom yourself. You have to look to Jesus for freedom. If you're looking for for joy, you can't produce joy in and of yourself. You have to be connected to the vine, to the joy giver who gives you that joy. If you're looking for peace today, you can't produce peace apart from Christ. And a lot of you in this room, you probably tried to do that. Produce joy, produce freedom, produce peace. And yet God is saying to all of us today, you cannot bear fruit apart from for me. But when you are in Christ, obeying Christ, worshiping Christ, loving Christ, abiding in Christ, when you're attached to the vine, attached to Jesus, you will bear fruit. You're an inevitable fruit-bearing person if you are in Christ. So what, what is fruit? Maybe that's a good thing to think about. What is fruit? Fruit is the character of God. We've already said this. The character of God, the power of God, the mission of God in you. Think generosity. Think radical giving and radical forgiving. Think love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Think feeding the hungry. Think caring for the marginalized. Think about freedom. Those are all the, the character of God or the mission of God or the power of God in you seen by others. There's two types of branches here. The first, first one is, is the fruit-bearing branch. And let's just quickly go through this. The fruit-bearing branch. The fruit-bearing branch is the abiding branch that bears fruit only because it's attached to the vine. You're going to hear me say this for the next five weeks. So important. The only way you and I can bear fruit, bear the evidence of God in us, is by being attached to Christ. We see that in verse 5 again. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, I in him. He it is, or she it is, that bears much fruit. Here's the second thing. This gets a little deeper now. The vine dresser prunes every fruit-bearing branch. Unless you're a gardener, this makes no sense whatsoever. If something is producing fruit, something is effective, something is effectual, and there's evidence of spiritual victory in my life, spiritual life in my life, why would the vine dresser, God, come and like pull that back or cut that off? Well, a gardener would know this because when you prune, this is the term used here, you actually are creating future, better fruit. You're actually preparing yourself for a greater harvest, if you will. You're preparing yourself for, for a healthier plant, new growth. And look at this in verse 2. I circled this in my Bible, the middle of verse 2. Every branch, ouch, every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. I circled the word every there. You know why? Because no one gets a pass at the pruning. If you're in Christ, you will be pruned. Let me tell you this. Pruning hurts. It hurts. It's suffering. It's, it's difficulty. It's trials. My own experience that I've seen in, in ministry for 30 years now is that even when Christians who love the Lord are being pruned, a lot of them walk away from God. Disappointed. God, I thought you were for me. Or they get bitter at God. God, I thought you were good. 
and you're bringing this suffering or you're allowing this suffering in my life or the buzzword of today they begin to deconstruct their faith God I thought you were there to to bring joy and happiness and fulfillment in my life all the time not realizing that what God was doing in the time of the pruning he was pulling back even the healthy branches even the healthy things in your life that you thought were going so well God was cutting those things back so that you might bear much fruit better fruit new growth healthier growth what is God doing in the pruning he's looking deep into our hearts Our greatest problem today are not things outside of our heart. It's not COVID. It's not a shaky economy. It's not a godless culture. It's not racism. It's not terrorism. The greatest problem in our lives today is our own hearts. What does pruning do? It exposes our idols. Pruning begins to show us the the love that we have for for sin. But I, I would submit to you today that the kindest thing that God can do in your life is to prune you, allow you to go through suffering. Otherwise, you know what you're doing? You're just living this unhealthy life, producing these bitter fruits, or you're just bowing down to diseased idols over and over again. Until God, through the kindness of his pruning, suffering, difficulty, and trials, cuts back sometimes even the branches that you think are are good in your life, the things that are producing victory in your life, pulls those things back so that there might be healthier growth, God-honoring fruit. What's the second branch? It's the fruitless branch. And you've seen this already. The fruitless branch lacks fruit only because it's not attached to the vine. And let me say this, if you're not a Christian here today, it doesn't mean you're bad. You're, You're incapable of producing the character of God if you're away from the vine. So the fruitless branch lacks fruit only because it's not connected to the vine. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This branch, this fruitless, is near the vine. It may even draw encouragement from being near the vine. It may receive common grace that comes from the vine. But that branch is not genuinely attached to or part of the vine. So here comes the sober part. Hold on. The vine dresser then eventually cuts off the fruitless branch and casts it away. Look at verse 2, the the first part. Every branch in me, and again, that, that word every, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, He is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. This is where it gets thick in the air because there's, there's no way around this. This is clearly a reference to judgment to come, a casting out of those who pose to be Christians. Those who pretend to be Christians but do not genuinely submit to Christ as, as Lord. They're not in a genuine, true, authentic relationship with Christ. And this is not just hypothetical. Two chapters earlier, in John chapter 13, you can look there if you want to. It's in verse 10. Jesus says to his disciples gathered for the Last Supper, Oh, all of you are clean, except for one. The one who will betray me. 
is not clean. In other words, it's not a part of the vine. But think about Judas. He has been all around the vine. Hung out with the vine for about three years. Hung out with with fruit-bearing disciples. I mean, I think Judas probably loved the miracles of Jesus, loved the power of Jesus, loved the popularity of Jesus. I loved watching all these things unfold. So this is not hypothetical. This is a man named Judas who is all around Jesus, but not truly connected to him. This is not just hypothetical. There are people in this room. There are people watching online. There are people in Waco who love to be around the things of Jesus. They love to hear the stories of the power of Jesus. They love being around people who truly love Christ and truly are bearing fruit for Christ. And yet they're not actually in Christ. It's my fear of cultural Christianity here in the South that you can talk like a Christian, you can think like a Christian, you can like Christians, you can show up at Christian things, you can know all the facts about Christianity, but not be in Christ. These are the last words of Jesus before the cross. This is how important this is to him, to us today. There's a persistent thread all throughout the Bible of men and women who had some degree of connection to Jesus. His church, his his miracles, his mission, his character. But the vibrancy of Christ himself inside of them, transforming them, it wasn't there because they refused to submit to him as Lord. They wanted to be around him. They did not want to be in him. Man, that sounds like Waco to me. We want to be around the Jesus stuff, but I don't really want to be like in Christ. Because that means I have to call him my Lord and obey him and listen to his instructions for my life. Is that you? Love to be around him, but don't want to be established in him? Look how this ends, John 15, 8. And next week, by the way, we're going to go back and just read all these verses again. It'll be a brand new thing that God shows us in these same eight verses, probably just five verses next week. Look how this passage ends, John 15, verse, verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Look how this passage is. When we abide in Christ, what happens? God gets glory. Do you see that in verse 8? First part of verse 8, by this, by what? By a fruitful life, by abiding in Christ. If you want to take the context of verse 7, by asking God for, for anything, by this, my Father is glorified. Greek word doxadzo, where we get our word doxology. God is greatly magnified. He is esteemed as glorious. His glory is magnified when we live a fruitful life, when we abide in Christ, when we ask of God. Therefore, true Christians love to know that their obedience brings glory to God. If you're here today thinking, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Here's a great way to know. True believers, those who are in the vine, they love to know that their obedience glorifies, esteems, magnifies God. It blesses the heart of a true Christian, of a true daughter, a true son of God by obeying him. It should thrill our soul, brothers and sisters. It should thrill us to obey God. How often do we say, how much can I get away with without him getting mad? Instead of thrilling our soul to obey him. The most functional family 
It's not just a mom and dad that are giving instructions down to the kids, and it's not just that the kids are obeying. Here's what a truly functional family is. It's those kids loving to obey what mom and dad just said. I mean, Jennifer and I, we had very little trouble with our kids. Pretty good kids. I mean, they're preacher's kids, so I'm sure they learned how to hide their sin, but they definitely were pretty, pretty, good, pretty good kids. I don't know how often we handed down instruction to them that both of them had their hearts leaping, saying, I cannot wait to obey mom and dad. Think about my own dad. He's still alive. He's 80 years old. This past week, he asked me to do something. I still kind of have that dad fear, you know, like he's 80 and I work out all the time. I feel like he could still take me in about seven seconds, like on the ground. So he asked me to come help him with something. I was like, yes, sir, I'll I'll be there today and I'll, I'll help you with that. I'm not real sure I was joyful in helping him. But he gave those instructions. To me, this is exactly what Christ is, is talking about. We glorify God when we obey God. True Christians love to know that our obedience brings glory to God. Here's the last thing. When we abide in Christ, we get assurance. So God gets glory. We get a piece of this deal as well. We get assurance. Look at the end of verse 8. And so prove by this, glorifying God, we so prove to be my disciples in Christ. It's evidence. When we're abiding in Christ, God is glorified. When we're abiding in Christ, we get this assurance. By this, my Father is glorified that you might bear much fruit. And in bearing that fruit, what are you doing? You're giving evidence to truly being in Christ. To proof that you are a disciple of Jesus. It is so satisfying, eternally satisfying. Because true Christians love to know that their lives are indeed in Christ. It is so satisfying for every Christian in this room, every Christian watching online, to inspect your own life and think, man, I... I did act more like Christ this week than I did last week. I did, I did have more patience toward my roommate, toward my boss, toward my kids. I, I love someone that I've never really loved that much before. There's an incredible satisfaction when you realize that you're growing in love and joy and peace and things like generosity are growing in you and grace toward others is growing in you and forgiveness toward others is, is growing in you and giving generously is growing on you and growing in you. You're delighting in his word. And you're quickly, you're quickly convicted of sin. You're quickly repenting of sin. All of those things bring us assurance that we are in the vine. 